Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Brandon Silvera. Thanks for being on the show, Brandon. Howdy, how are you? Great. I'm a pleasure to have you. I was just telling Brandon that he, he has a superpower that I don't think we've had on the show yet and a unique skill that I'm really looking forward to diving into today. And I think it's going to open a lot of the listeners' minds to a new type of investment or a new option out there that, that you may not be familiar with. But a little about Brandon. He is a fourth-generation farmer and has bought and sold millions in real estate, currently manages over $100 million in assets. His specialty is in farm management, land acquisition, and a variety of farm and land financing and strategies. He's passionate about bridging the gap between the farm and the consumer, which led him to launch Farm Funder, which makes investing in farmland simple. So Brandon, you got to fill us in a little bit, you know, maybe back up and tell us how this happened, how this came about. Let's dive into really what this is and just the opportunity that's, that's there for all of us that we don't even know about. Sure. Like a lot of things uh, pop up out of necessity. So I started my farm pretty much from scratch, started building it up, building it up and realized that we need more capital and we need better options. So when the Jobs Act first came out and and crowdfunding had became a a thing, equity crowdfunding, I kind of knew at that time that this was really big for farming. You know, I thought to myself, how cool would it be to be able to get investors to invest in farmland with farmers that know the land, know how to farm, know what they're doing and get a good return for the investors, you know, who get to, you know, own this property and get to see the appreciation of this property. And at the time, it just wasn't being done on a scale that normal investors could invest in. It was being done on large scales, pension funds, things of that sort, but just not where a normal investor could invest in. And I knew it could be huge. So that's kind of what led me on this path. So what kind of farming were you doing? Say before the Jobs Act, what kind of farming were you doing specifically and what type of operation are we talking about? We're in uh, central California. So we're growing a lot of almonds, walnuts, grapes, nut crops are a great investment right now. But we also have some row crops and we've dabbled with uh, organic tomatoes, processing tomatoes, garlic, onions, cow feed, things of that sort, corn and alfalfa, pretty good around these parts. So that's kind of our focus. We, we really like the uh, permanent crop and the vineyard model seems to be a, a good return. That's kind of our sweet spot. So you were doing that and then then you realized you needed capital and you, and you could raise capital. I love how you talked about it's a, so similar thought process to what we do in multifamily. It's just like, you know, investors are investing with operators that know what they're doing because they don't have the time to go develop that skill most of the time and to operate the deal, operate the property. And it seems so similar here to where you're the expert and we're ultimately investing in you and your skills, right? It's interesting because like a lot of things, if you buy a piece of property, they want you to personally guarantee, say, the building or whatever you're buying, and they want to encumber your other uh, real estate, right? Well, in farming, you know, imagine having a farm that's been in your family for 100 years, and you want to buy the farm next door. But doing that, you have to have the risk of encumbering all of your family's farm that have been, you know, for 100 years, and you might lose that someday, and you may not want to take on that risk. So, you know, the thought process is, 
why not have the ability for investors to come in and invest with the farmer where he doesn't take on so much risk, but yet he's familiar with the ground because it's next door or the soil is familiar and he's already growing those crops. So it really fits the whole syndication type of a a model fits so good with agriculture. In my personal opinion, I think we're just kind of, this is just the start. Yeah. Seems like this kind of this thing that's just kind of unknown, right? People are, if the first time they do hear about it, maybe they're a little fearful, but they're just uneducated, maybe. I think there's a learning curve for sure. I think there's a learning curve on both ends. When you talk to farmers about bringing investors on, the first thing a farmer says, well, I don't want someone from the city telling me how to farm. It's like, well, that's not how it works, you know? (laughs) And then when you talk to investors about investing in farmland, telling them that, hey, you're going to get paid once a year instead of every month, there's a learning curve there too. And that profit from your investment changes every year, depending on weather and and how how good those crops do. So what, what we do is not we don't lease back to a farmer. The investors are invested with the farmer in those crops, which helps us to see a higher return for the investors. Tell me, elaborate on that a little bit there as far as leasing. You talked about you're not leasing back. Explain like why that would be a problem so we understand. It's not a problem. So it's pretty common. The, I would say the what most people, most institutional investors and, and a lot of investors do when they want to invest in agriculture, they go out and they buy a farm, they lease it to a farmer. That farmer pays X amount of dollars per acre and it's paid once a year. Not a lot of risk. It's pretty safe, which is good. But your returns tend to be lower, you know, to two or 3% return on your money and then whatever appreciation you get from that farm. Now, that farmer who's farming that is obviously needs to make a profit farming and pay you the rent. So we're kind of capturing that profit from the farmer, but you're also getting that risk. If you're going to farm, say almonds is what we're big into over here. You're going to own the trees with the farmer. The farmer's going to own the trees. It's all going to be in an LLC. And if those trees make 13%, you know, you're going to make 13% instead of just getting the rent and the appreciation. We think it's pretty safe. We think the risk is definitely worth the reward doing it this way. So that's kind of our model compared to traditional models. So you mentioned being paid once a year and it's kind of a learning curve there as well. I could completely understand why that is that way, but maybe you could elaborate for those that you know don't really understand a farming process. Sure. So we're, for example, in an almond, or, or a, an almond orchard or a vineyard, right now we're farming for a harvest that's going to be in the fall. And we're going to sell that product and probably get paid after the first of the year in 2021. There's no monthly income. It's just kind of when you sell the product that you grow, that's when you get paid. So that's kind of how it works. There are some other cash flowing crops out there, but not too many. For our model, that's, this, this is how it's done. How do you project returns on something that's, that's going to be sold so many months from now? I look at the historical average. I see what the price has been selling for, what we think the price is going to be, what we think demand is, what we think the crop is going to be. There's some really good, not just the USDA, but also some other research groups out there that are doing some really good reports on, for example, on almonds, uh, it comes to bloom. We have a bloom period and we'll look and see, was it a good bloom time? How many almonds are set on the tree? And we, we get an estimate of how big the crop's going to be. So we can, within reason, figure out what we think the crop's going to be and what we think the price is going to be. Obviously, it varies. You know, there's, there's so many different variables. But we get a decent idea, and we put that over time. Because in farming, this isn't a one-year or two-year. You, know, you really want to look at it in a, in a seven- to ten-year type of a model and look at it over that time. If you look at it at a year-by-year basis, 
and you probably won't be too happy. <laughs> that makes sense. So explain just how it's structured a little bit. You know, you talked about like it going over five to seven year period. And a lot of investors that are listening are, are used to that even in multifamily. We're going to hold it, say, five to seven years. But explain just how a deal like this is structured, maybe even how the returns are structured as well. I'm going I'm to use an example for the almond orchard we currently have on our website. You buy into an LLC. The LLC owns the uh, almond orchard. And whatever percentage of the money that you put in will be the return that you get. So the LLC sees 100% of that appreciation of the land. And we look at an orchard for a 10-year hold period. Almonds have a lifespan of, say, 20, 25 years. So these trees are five years old. So we're looking to see these trees really see the maximum potential of yield over the next 10 years. Plus, we're going to see some pretty good appreciation in a 15-year-old almond orchard, if it's taken care of, will still have a uh, really good resale value. We're going to look at where the market is after the seventh year and say, okay, do we want to sell this year, next year? You know, how much profit are we making? What do we want to do with the ranch over this time period? We may sell on year nine. We may sell on year 11. We just kind of want to see the feel of this asset during that time. And that's selling a crop or that's selling the land? or That would be selling the land. So when we exit out of an investment, we'll exit out of the, uh, the farm completely. That would be our goal. It's possible we may not, depending on what the investors would like to do or what we feel we want to do. But that's most likely. We want to capture that appreciation. So somebody that's coming in to buy that, if you've managed that well and now you have a, a cash flowing crop there, I assume the value of the land is a lot more. Yes. Mm -hmm. We want to capture as much appreciation as possible. Historically, it's been very good. Where do you most mess up when investing in, in agriculture like this? I think if you're from the outside, investing in an uh, asset like this and you're not familiar, pretty much you have to find the right piece of property for whatever it is you're looking for. So I think most people mess up by getting talked into something that maybe isn't a class one soil or or wasn't a crop that was, maybe didn't have enough water. You know, water's a uh, big issue out here in California. Or buying too high. That's, I've seen that a lot. You know, they pay, they pay whatever the market value is and it slips, you know, 10% because of uh, crop prices. I think there's so many variables to mess up. An outside investor should really look at who's going to be farming it and kind of the history of that farm and make sure that they're a reputable farmer or a reputable person. Is there a way to know that or maybe help us to find a good operator like yourself or maybe some questions that we should even ask so we know they know the farming operation? I think you want to look at the history of the farm, what kind of soil class it's in and what crop is suitable for it. So there's some USDA information out there that would say, you know, you shouldn't plant an almond here, you shouldn't plant a vineyard here, but you could plant uh, pistachios or this crop here. You want to kind of look at what the soil is and where it's located. And you want to make sure there's enough water. You know, in the Midwest, uh, we get a lot of uh, rainwater. That's kind of the, the method of irrigation. But here in California, we're all irrigated through a pump or canals and ditches. So you want to make sure there's two sources of water. Those are the first two things you want to look at. And you really want to just feel out the operator that they know what's going on. Kind of look at their history. What's a typical investment range in, in something like this? Can somebody invest at 10000 or is it 100000 What does that look like? So we start off at 10000 for our offerings. I would say fifty to 100000 is probably a normal amount to invest in something like this. When you get above 500000 to a $1 million, you really want to start looking at 
owning a farm on your own and hiring that manager and possibly being able to dictate which crops are going to be put on that particular farm, which we offer a program like that as well. Anything over 300000 we can find you a farm. Wow. Tell me about that. So if somebody has a large enough investment amount, you'll actually help them find a farm and, and potentially farm themselves? Correct. Yeah. In the crowdfunding structure, it's very hard for a 1031 exchange to happen here. So anytime we get a, a large amount of money that people want to invest in a farm, a lot of times they want it to be, there are certain things that they want, uh, a certain crop that they may want. They may be 1031 exchanging. And at that particular point, you know, we can 1031 exchange into a a piece of property. Then the farm's named after X investor. and They have a little bit more control over what's happening. What are the typical types of returns? Do a preferred return or do you do like a 70-30 split as some typical structures do in in commercial real estate? So currently that's not how I have it structured. We're in it with the farmer. So I'm sorry, with the investor. So if you see a 30% return, that investor gets a 30% return. We're not taking any kind of preferred returns or waterfall type situations. We're just not doing that. I'm not saying that that may not be something in the future, especially when we get more sponsors on board. But this particular point in time, we want it straight and simple. The farm makes X amount of money and what's left over goes to the investors. I think in the commercial world, it can be done a little bit easier. Some, some of those uh, types of setups because there's a little bit more predictability. In the farming world, we're going to share the upside and we're going to share the downside. So we had briefly talked about just how, how farmland has it's proven to remain stable. Elaborate on that a little bit, just how it's maybe over many years, you know, just how that's proven, to, how it's proven to be stable and why people are looking more to invest in it lately. The best thing about farmland, you know, especially when the markets kind of tank, it's a great inflation hedge. We're essentially a manufacturer, so we're, we're producing a tangible product. It's a product that we all need on planet Earth to survive. So it's in demand at all times. When the economy is up, it's in demand. And when the economy is down, it's in demand. That's a good thing. Especially, you know, and we see uh, like what happened in 2008, when the dollar gets a little weaker, our products tend to really skyrocket because we're on a, a global economy and we're selling to places overseas that really like that our dollar has weakened. We've seen commodity prices skyrocket during those times. So there's so many different ways, I think, for farmland and the commodities that come off this land to benefit during economic uncertainties. It comes with the good and the bad. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the the tell-all, you know, the, the best investment in the world. It's stable and it's a long-term investment. For myself, I'm heavily invested in agriculture, but if I was from the outside looking in, I'd take a portion, throw it in the ag because it's always going to be stable and it's always going to be there. Population's growing. We're losing farmland at a record pace. So at what point is that going to uh, really catch up to us? So I'm a big fan. So what's been the hardest part of this syndication journey for you, Brandon? I think the educational aspect of it, getting people to invest in such a traditional, unique asset through a (laughs) non-traditional method. Essentially, you're investing in a farm on the internet which is, it's, it's weird. It's, it's different. And I think there's a learning curve that a lot of people, a lot of investors need to learn, which thank God the commercial world is really kicking butt right now because it helps us. It helps people to understand, you know, what's going on in apartments and other deals where they can look and say, okay, I've done this with this asset. Oh, I see farming has this same type of setup, you know, but it's just kind of hard. I think there's, there's still just a, 
I think we have a, a couple more years of really educating people how it works and what to do. What's a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? For me, this whole journey of crowdfunding and marketing has been, because we come from the agricultural side and not the investment banking side, you know, doing these podcasts and, and really improving our visibility online has been so crazy to me. I really look at how other larger companies are, are doing SEO placement and, and, and how everyone's getting to the top of the uh, search for these particular assets. And it's, I think we're improving marketing wise every single day. How are you finding investors for an asset class like this? Mostly the internet right now. So it's word of mouth, it's keyword search. So one good thing about this, if you want to invest in apartments, there's a whole list of people. If you want to invest in almonds, <laughs> it's not too many people. So we're lucky to get in there and get on the first page and really get interested people that want this particular asset. So we've been very lucky. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? My success in this particular asset has got to be just one, I've been in it my entire life and two, passion. You've got to be happy doing what you're doing. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So the farmer is the eternal optimist, right? We're, we're always optimistic. And having that passion, I think, has really helped our success. How do you like to give back? Well, we, we do quite a bit with the children's hospital here. So that's, that's kind of my little sweet spot. Anytime I can uh, do anything for them, I'm in. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, for just coming on the show and sharing this new asset class with the listeners and myself. I know I've learned a lot and I'm sure they have too, but tell them how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. So the best way would be to check out our portal, which is farmfunder.com. And there's no E in there. So that's F-A-R-M-F-U-N-D-R.com. Or they can uh, reach me at info at farmfunder.com. Email me. Check out our Instagram, Facebook. We're all over the place. Anywhere we should be, we're, we're there. Awesome, Brandon. That's a wrap. I appreciate it. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.